easily I'll fall in the first place so that I don't make a scene You're listening to the City World Radio Network. High-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world. www.cityworldradio.com And welcome to Morph Mom Moments. Uh, I'm Kathleen Smith. I'm the host of Morph Mom Moments, and I'm thrilled beyond belief to be here with my guest, Benildi Little, uh, famed author, editor, mother, and just amazing, amazing person. And we're going to hear all about her tonight. Uh, and again, it's quite an honor to be sitting next to her tonight. Um, before we begin, for those of you who are new to the show, uh, thank you for listening to begin with. I hope you come back. Uh, if you'd like to call in tonight, it's live calling all night. It's 212-631-7553. And uh, at any time, I also encourage you to go to my website, which is morphmom.com, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com, to sort of understand what it is we do here. Um, for those of you who are new, I'm going to give you a very quick introduction to Morph Mom, as I know you're waiting to hear from Benildi, <laughs> not from me. So I'll do this quickly. Uh, again, um, I was a prosecutor years and years, many, many, many decades ago. And I stopped after my second, and I had my third, and 14 years somehow went by. Literally within a blink of an eye, I couldn't believe it was done. And I apologize to those of you who are return listeners, and please keep returning and don't be bored of the story. Uh, but I always sort of assumed I'd go back to what I was doing. And when I went back, they did not think the same. And I realized walking in that it just, it, it had been too much time. It wasn't going to happen. And the reality of it was, I don't know if I was even ready to make such a commitment after such a long time. So that being said, where was I? All I knew was law. All I knew was what I had done 14 years prior and raising kids at home, I really was lost. There was a loss of confidence, there was a loss of contacts, and there was a loss of self. And it was a really, really hard time. So at some point, and again, I'm embarrassed to mention this as I'm sitting next to this amazing, wonderful author tonight, Vanildi, but there I tried to write a children's book. It didn't go quite as well as I thought it would. So I wrote the book, but at night I would like sort of 
without letting anybody know, because again, as I mentioned, no confidence, no context. How does one write a book? How does one self-publish a book without anybody else knowing you're doing it? <laughs> so you can't face that fear. And Benilde will discuss this later tonight. But it's it's very hard for me to even say that still sitting in front of you. I still am mortified to think that there was ever even a chance that I could accomplish something like that. But it was there. I mean, that's the fear that I had. And I think many people share that fear. Uh, that coupled with someone's response that was not so positive about what I was doing, I, I sort of realized that rather than trying this, my goal had to be to go find the women who had done things, whatever it was, to help those looking to get there, looking to do it. And that's sort of how Morph Mom started. And Morph Mom, I started it four years ago with the website. And again, I encourage you all to go and look at this. And uh, you'll see there are videos from all over the country. There are over 600 videos of women who tell their stories. There's a, uh, a network within Morph Mom. So if you want to connect beyond the video, if you sign up and register, you can connect with anybody else on the website as well. It's all very private. It's all very direct. And it's all very kind, which is hopefully the mantra that... that follows through. So that was the first year of the website. The second year I started to write for the Huffington Post and share these stories because they were just unbelievable. And I don't care what you do or where you do it, there is something about these stories that needed to be told to encourage others to know that they could do this. They really could. And that there are women out there willing and able and wanting to help them do it as well. So uh, the following year, the third year, I started cocktail parties and I travel around the country. And very soon, I promise there will be a page up on morphmom.com that will explain where the events are, who's coming, who's speaking. And we're going to start a panel series of speakers as well. And we are coming to a city near you, I promise. And if you'd like us to come, reach out to me on morphmom and I'll be there. And if you'd like to share your story, reach out to me because that's my job. I got to share these stories. I got to connect these women. Um, and now, most recently, I am doing this radio show. And it is so fun and it is so exciting and I think it is such an honor and a privilege that I get to sit here with such amazing women every Thursday night who are willing again to share their stories purely out of kind of heart and to help other people so uh, and, and I just want to mention my co-host tonight Lisa Berkery and Seema McGrath uh, and without further ado most importantly I want to introduce my guest Binaldi Little welcome thank you, thank you Kathleen it's nice to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. Um, now, before we go any further, uh, we're going to start with tell us what it is you do. Oh, well, <clears throat> I am an author. I've written five books. Um, my most recent book is a uh, memoir called Welcome to My Breakdown. And um, it's about, it's, it's interesting because a lot of what you're saying about losing yourself, it's a lot about that. It's about, it's a lot about me uh, deciding to take time off to um, put my fingerprint on my son. We had had au pairs until he was about four. And I thought, mm, I need to, I need to get in there and, um, you know, be home for a little while. And it was going to be a year. So morphed to... It, it literally, like you're talking about 14 years, it was six years. And I hadn't published. I was just, I got more and more depressed. And the, so it was, uh, it stopped working, menopause, and then my mom dying. So it was this, this triangle of horrendous things happening. And so I fell into this deep, deep depression. And so I wrote about that. And, and that's where the breakdown part uh, came from. I wrote about that in this book. And, um, 
Initially, I thought it was just about my mom dying, whom I was very, very close to, and it was devastating losing her. Um, but it was funny because when the book was um, in, in pre-publication and I was talking to my agent and she said, you know, it wasn't just that you lost your mother, you lost yourself too. And you weren't working, you lost your work. And um, so, yeah, so it's this really speaks to me. So what you were talking about is so familiar to me. I know it in my bones, what it's like to... You know, it's funny. It's it's a, it's just a terrible place. And to it, it, I don't know. And that's a good thing about Morphelm, I think, too, is that you can find other women who understand this. But it's very hard to describe this to someone who has not gone through it. Mm-hmm. I think they look at you and say, I just, I don't get it. Right. But inside, like, it's it's just a terrible feeling. Um, before, and I can't wait to explore this and talk about this, tell us about your, sort of your journey and how you how you came to be where you are today so before that um the the other books i were all novels and um they were the first one was really successful it was a really big book and before that i was a journalist um so i was a started as a mag as a newspaper journalist and then i went to magazines and then i um left to write fiction full-time and I did that with, I left some great jobs. I was at People Magazine, and then I went to Essence Magazine. And, um, you know, these were, these were great jobs, great times, living in, in Manhattan, doing the whole, you know, thing, the whole Carrie Bradshaw moment. I want um, that moment. I, oh, God, it was, and it was, it was before Second City, but we were there. And, um, and uh, so I just thought, you know, life was just like peachy, and it was just going to keep going up, up, up. And, um, and so when I quit, I got married, so I was able to quit. My, my husband wasn't too happy about that. Because <laughs> I kept talking about it. I was like, you know, I really want to write this book. I really want to. He was like, okay, do it. And I had written like 10 pages. Like over eight years, I had 10 pages. So he was like, well, just do it, do it. And I was like, I hate my job. We'll get another job. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I need to work on the book full time. And at this point, I, it, we had no mortgage. We had no kids. We had a Hyundai and not like a fancy one. So it was the perfect time to do it. Like there was no overhead. There was, it was the perfect time to do it. So one day I just went and I quit my job and um, he came home and, and I said, I quit my, and he's like, Oh, so you like got another one? Like, so (laughs) nope. He was not happy, but he, um, he said, okay. And every day he'd come home and he said, let me see what you wrote today. And so I had to produce because he wanted to see. It was like, you are not going to be home watching Oprah all day. <laughs> and so I did. And the book was was huge. And uh, that was Good Hair. That was the first novel. And for those and, of you out there, by the way, Benildi has the most phenomenal hair I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. She's <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. Gorgeous. It is gorgeous so um but my book is not about hair i just had to say that as i look at you as you're talking i'm like you really do have good hair good hair is about um social class and it's about did you know this um i did okay so um i and you know and and this was sort of my first you know when oprah was always talking about like find your passion find when she was on you know a regular show find your passion find your passion or you know it's time to reinvent okay so i had done that already so i went from like my you know straight magazine career which i loved to you know doing these writing these books which i loved so then after i did four and now five you know, I left with the fourth one. I was kind of like looking around going like, okay, now what? You know, I've done it. I, I, I've lived this dream twice. So, you know, and I don't know if it's because I get bored or 
what, but I'm, you know, I'm definitely kind of like looking around for other stuff in spite of what my friends like Pam Satrin, who is the person who got me here with Kathleen. Uh, she literally texted me yesterday about a plot point in a book she wants me to write. <laughs> Why don't you blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And then she wants me to take screenwriting classes and, and I'm thinking about it. So I have a question. So you quit your job and mm-hmm. you go home and now you have to produce. Yeah. How does that work? Like, for, like how do you, do you set a goal for yourself? You say, okay, I got three pages. I have to do it tonight or 10 pages or, but does it come naturally? How did it happen? Yeah. <clears throat> well, the good news is that was where the journalism training came in. But the other thing is, and then I eventually after about, mm, I don't know, maybe five really bad chapters, <laughs> Lucy um, said, I know somebody who runs a really great workshop. And so I got in this workshop taught by the amazing Abby Thomas. And um, once a week, I would just, you know, we, we, it was a group of us and we'd meet in her apartment on the Upper West Side. And it really helped a lot. And, and really what a workshop, and I teach now and what I, I do pretty much what I was taught, which is, it's really, a, a, you know, you're like a cheerleader and it's really like, um, you know, you criticize, but you do it in a really gentle way. And it, and it sort of, it's about building up one's confidence. So that's what happened. And I just kept doing that. And I was running back then. And so I would, I would do my writing until about one o'clock. I would take a break, go for a run, have something to eat and get back to it. And so I would do, you know, somewhere between five and seven pages every day and show it to my husband. Is there a favorite of all of your books? And they're all amazing. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite book or a favorite character in one of the books? Um, you know, it's corny, but it's true. <laughs> People, uh, writers always are asked that question and say that, you know, it's like saying, you know, who's your favorite child? And they are sort of like that, although I do have a favorite child. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> Depending on the day, we all do. <laughs> you know, my daughter is always At like, times. Yeah. she's like, oh, Ford's the favorite. No, Ford's not. Ford is both of you. I, I, I call when I talk about them, when I write about them, I go favorite daughter, my favorite son. I'm fortunate I have one of each. But anyway, um, so... Um, I, I think there's one character that I write about, that I've written about in three of the four, a guy, Miles Browning. And Miles is like a superhero. And do, do you watch um, House of Lies with Don Cheadle? Yes. Okay, that's my character. No, seriously. And if you're listening, Don Cheadle, <laughs> when, when Good Hair came out, his people asked for it, you know, and to... Um, what do you call, you know, like option it. Natalie Cole did end up optioning it. But there was a lot of interest. There were a lot of, in- so that, my character is like this investment banker who travels all over the world and who's like this, like that character on that show. So I love Miles. I love writing about Miles because he's complex. He, you know, he grew up in Memphis, really poor. You know, his mom was on welfare, single. And she was, and you know what? I made her that because it was during the time Clinton was in office. And I remember watching him on something like demonizing welfare mothers. And I thought, you know what? You got it wrong. I mean, all of, no one, no group is one way. And I was like, I'm going to write this woman who has a child and who, takes advantage of the time she has because she doesn't work. And she found every free, amazing educational program for him. And so 
you know, so that's who he is. He comes from this. And he is unique in that he never tries to deny. He he brings all of that with him, which is why he's so successful. And he's just really fun to write. This is fascinating. Now, I just think about that, how you develop a character and how what character what traits the character has. And do you, when you're when you're coming up with a character, do you think back to people you knew in a past life or you knew at a point that you, traits that you liked about them, traits that you didn't like about them? Do you associate them with people that you knew or is it something you'd like to know a person who carried those traits? It's, um, you know, people always think I'm writing about them. <laughs> Like my husband, my husband is, you know, he's, yeah, he, he thinks that he's uh, that. the character, the main character in Good Hair, the guy, uh, Jack. He's not Jack. Um, so, you know, no, it may be like, you know, you take, you know, a background, maybe. Um, I'm endlessly fascinated by people. I'm like, you know, they call me the mayor of Montclair. I love you know, I run into people and I know people, I retain people's stories. I don't only know them. I, for some reason, I don't ask me the name of the restaurant we were in. Don't ask. I mean, I, there's so many things I can't remember, but that kind of stuff, you know, like Will, I remember your son's name and Charlie, because my dog's name is Charlie. And you remembered me from 2008. And I remember your face. Exactly. (laughs) Because I never forget a face. So it's this that's weird a gift. I think it's a gift. Well, it's writer brain. Our other friend, Pam, my other friend, Lori, that's what she calls it. It's writer brain. My dad used to have this saying, um, and today it's like my favorite. Still, it's hanging in my kitchen. And it was, be interested and you'll be interesting. Oh, that's nice. That but I think I've never that's, heard that. But it's very much what you're saying right now because you listen to people's stories. There are many times you pass through life and you walk in and you think, I talked the entire time. I have no mm. idea what just mm. went on at that table. <laughs> but what you're like, I, so personally for me, because my dad felt so strongly about this, is it's exactly what you're saying. Mm. You sit and listen, you take away so much. And I just think that's such. And that's really how I learn. And I, I mean, like, really learn things, like learn how to do stuff and learn, you know, that's how I retain. I'm not, you know, so when you're talking about law school, I, could, I completely get it because so many of my friends in undergrad went to law school because they didn't want to take, they didn't want to be journalists because they knew they weren't going to make any money and they figured they'd make a lot of money as lawyers. So when I say, say eight of them, one is happy being a lawyer, you know, um, and he just, he's a litigator probably. That's probably why, but yeah, I mean, so th- so law school wasn't even like a, wasn't even a consideration for me. I was like, what? Like, like not even for a second. Well, I was there and it still wasn't a consideration. For, me. So, for those of you out there wondering, it wasn't the best time in my life. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, but you did it. Then. You did it. Well, I got through it. You got I through it. I don't know if I did it. I, I eat out of it. <laughs> I made it somehow. Right. right. Um, I, this I find I really do find this fascinating about the character development and the traits and I'm just sitting here thinking if I was to come up with this my perfect character what traits would that character have or the character I would think that was not the nicest person in the book what, what traits would I assign to that character what were we just talking about oh Brooklyn the movie <laughs> see love that movie okay but the, that character the the shop owner I mean how horrendous was oh, she gosh. right but oh. you remember her right mm-hmm. she was like pivotal because she was such a nightmare that when she said that thing to the woman about like you know knowing that she was married in New York 
you know, that reminded the main character, like, this is why I don't want to live in this little town where she was thinking about right, staying, right. you know? So she was pivotal in that, in that. But oh my God, she was awful. That, that, a, a terrible, terrible. But you have to have awful characters. You have to, you have to have awfulness in your, in the characters that you love. You, you know, otherwise your book is boring. And the person's boring, right? Yeah. The character, like anybody. Like, right. and I think sometimes you don't recognize the good if you have no comparison right. to the bad. Right. I guess. I right. don't know. Maybe right. I don't know if that's an optimistic way to look at it. I'm not sure. <laughs> Should I have revealed that? I'm not sure. <laughs> I just said that out loud. Um, it, it really, I can't stop thinking about this. But I want to now go back to your most recent book mm. and how we're talking about the fictional characters leading up until now. Your most recent book, it was a memoir. It was an mm. autobiography about yourself and your own family. Mm. And uh, this may be a dumb question, but is it harder to write about the actual character, to put a name, put a fi- you know, a name to the face, the character mm. in the book, as opposed to the fictional character assigning those characteristics. I, I, yeah, I would say it's harder. I would definitely say that it was it was harder to write about myself. Um, you know, and, but what you have to do when you're writing about yourself is you you have to sort of figure out how to make that person into a character. Because, you know, you're changing. I'm changing every day. So, you know, you, you, you're, but your character can't do that because you never finished the book, right? So, um, so I had to push away from myself and create, if you will, I'm a character. You know, I, I've seen this great um, line from a, a woman I know who recently wrote a, um, a book where she's putting in a lot of different people. And she says, but it's sort of a, a, a book about her. And she says, this is the story of... Um, uh, this is this is the story of my life, but it's not me. It's it's my story, but it's not my life, or something like that. Um, so it's not my life, but it's some aspect of mine. So what I tried to do is just sort of focus on those years when I fell into the mommy hole, or what I call the domestic drudgery, and or the domestic dungeon. Mm. And um, we know it well. Yeah, I was at Costco today. <laughs> Mad. <laughs> And, and then, there, done that. And yeah. then, and so then he calls me, you know, and it's like two days before Easter or three days, whatever it is. And I'm like, why is it so crowded? Because Easter's coming, right? right? And then he, the husband, <laughs> calls me. That would be you. For those just, of you out there, my as, husband just walked in. <laughs> just as I've checked out, did you remember to get kitchen garbage bags? Oh, did you tell me? <laughs> garbage bags? Oh, my gosh. I, it's so funny. I think lately my reaction has been, well, if you needed them, maybe you should have run out to get them. Well, he did the last time, and that's oh, why God. I'm not paying attention because I don't know well, how many are in there. Funny we're talking about garbage bags because <laughs> I ordered the wrong size <laughs> from uh, <laughs> Peapod. <laughs> and I was told I ordered the wrong oh. size. Hence the domestic drug. <laughs> there it is. Yes. Yeah. I feel like Michael Corleone where, you know, he's trying to get out of the mob and they keep pulling him back in. So I got out with this book, you know, touring around, you know, talking about it. And it's great, uh, you know, because this is so much bigger than me. You know, I'm talking about um, depression and I'm talking about women owning themselves and being authentic and real and transparent in this culture where that's not at all celebrated. I mean, we have these two extremes, right? We've got Oprah and we've got Marianne Williamson and all those people. And then we have the Real Housewives. And, you know, where do we where do we find 
ourselves mirrored? Where do we, you know, and like, who do you want to be? And um, so sometimes that's really uh, a challenge and sometimes it's really lonely. But um, so anyway, so it's great when I'm out on the road talking about it because I hear like you're talking about doing this, so many amazing stories from women and some women come up to me and they whisper, you know, I've been struggling with depression like all my life and I'm so glad you wrote this book. Um, because so not only do, you know, I mean, look, my white girlfriends have no problems talking about depression and their therapists and their meds. My black, not really my friends, but black women that I know in, in generally in black world, there's no, we don't, there's no depression, there's no anxiety, there's no going to a shrink, there's no taking meds. You know, you just, you know, you give it to God. Because you're perceived as being so yes. strong. That's right. And That's right. That's exactly right. And what I'm saying on this tour and this, and this mission that I'm on with this book is, you know what, that trope of the strong black woman is killing us mm. because you're eating too much you're shopping too much you're drinking too much you're socializing too much and you're not doing the internal work and it's not just black women it's it's women of color did you know indian women are the most stressed out of any women did you know that <laughs> the most stressed i know out. <laughs> the most stressed out i live so, it <laughs> so yeah so it's like i i really want to have you know this this conversation you know mm -hmm. and open it up and that's awesome i think yeah. you probably helped a lot of people yeah. with your book yeah i mean i did not have the opportunity to read your whole book but i texted kathleen right away it grabbed me from the first page mm. so anybody out there listening who has not read this it is clear beautiful writing thank it you. really moved me thank and i can't you. wait to finish thank you yeah, we, we were awesome. talking about this today about um I was actually going over the website with somebody today. Mm -hmm. And by the way, for those of you who just tuned in, uh, thank you for joining us tonight. I'm here with the amazing Vanildi Little, uh, famed author, editor, mother, and teacher. Uh, and it's just a privilege and honor to have you here with us tonight. And for those who'd like to call in, it's 212-631-7553. Uh, and again, you're on with Morph Mom Moments. And if you want to learn more about it, I won't repeat the story, but I encourage you to go to the website morphmom.com m-o-r-p-h-m-o-m.com and register and you can reach out and connect with all of these amazing women out there and there are many many amazing women um so we were just talking about benildi's most recent um memoir and it talks about dealing with depression and, and what happened and i have a question um how did you know that this was and i and i was reading the book as well and so you describe it in the book but i'm just curious that the, so your your mom passed away, and by the way, for those out there, this is I think the se the anniversary seventh anniversary mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of your mom's passing away, and I think there's a reason you were here tonight. Yeah, there really is yeah, a reason that yeah. this worked out tonight. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure she's listening to this as well right now, and thinking I can't even believe how amazing my daughter is and what she's done and the help that she's doing to everybody out there and one thing you struck me uh, by the way that you said before was people not sharing everything has to be perfect everything is perfect everything is so not perfect right, <laughs> like right. if you just tell me about yourself so i can relate to you and connect to you exactly it's gonna be so much better so much better so, so much, much better. better so much better and it's so hard to stand in a world and pretend and it's so much easier and like it takes this huge weight off your chest when you can actually stand there and say this is what I'm dealing with mm -hmm. and it sucks mm -hmm. but so are you and I mm -hmm. see that you got through it and mm -hmm. together we can get through it so 
I just, I, I'm utter gratitude for you for what you do and what you share and that message that you give beyond depression, whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. that there are people out there, just say what it is, and there are people out there you can connect with. So when you realize that this has sort of gone a little bit more than just grieving mm-hmm. the death of your mother mm-hmm. to full on a, a depression, how did you know? How did you know that it had, it, that it had transgressed into that? You've never been depressed, huh? Well, you know, it's, I, I honestly ask that because sometimes I, people don't know. No, you, you know. know. You, like, I that's mean, what I'm curious about. Like, right. how do you know? Right. So here's the thing. So I've always been sort of melancholy. So like my whole life, five years old, like looking at my mother going like, I can't go to school today. You know, I'm having, and, 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 and she was so amazing. She would let me stay home. Like I needed mental health days back then because I it was overwhelmed. You know, you just get overwhelmed in kindergarten. It's just too much going on, <laughs> too much. And I'm still like that. It's too much stimulation. Gotta go, you know. Uh, why can't you come to my dinner party? Because I gotta like just chill. I gotta be on the couch and I can't, okay? Now I just say it before I'd make up an excuse mm. or go and be unhappy. Um, so, but this was black, just like waking up in the middle of the night, every night, and like my husband, like just staring, and he would like, because I didn't want to wake him up, but I'd just be like looking at him, <laughs> you know, like a dog, you know. And, <laughs> and then, um, you know, he'd wake up and, you know, I'd say like, you just have to, you're gonna have to put me away. I mean, it felt like I was literally in wow. a hole, like underground, there was dirt, all around and you can't get out you know you can't climb because the dirt it's dirt and so you know you, you can't get your footing you can't get your hands up you you're just in this hole that's what it felt like and it was just like literally you're slugging through like everything weighs you know it's like it's like a hundred pounds my legs my arms you know and I would I would get up to walk my dog after um Taking, I think I did, yeah. For, no, well, for a while we had Sonia, my the woman I hired to help take care of my mother because I had my mother for the last six weeks of her life in my house to give my father a break. We didn't know it was going to be the last six weeks. She had just been in and out of the hospital so much, and my father was wasting away. He was 84 at the time. And I thought, you know, let me just take her for a little while and fatten her up, you know, feed her, and because he can't cook, you know. And, and you know, just – and she – you know just went down even more it was just you know her heart and her lungs so um I had this woman uh, Sonia who was helping me and she was amazing so after my mother died I kept her and so Sonia would cook I think she was driving the kids in in the beginning well my best friend was there for the six weeks and then Sonia was there so so I could just I could just maybe I did drive them to school but I would come home and just get in the bed after that and mm-hmm. I would just be in bed until they came home. This was every day. This went on for over a year. So when that happens, you kind of know. Did you feel, was it just this like so tired that it was oh. if you slept, you wouldn't have to deal with anything else? You're just, you're exhausted. And then there were times I couldn't sleep and you know, I would just watch television. And it was like your brain is just like not on. It's almost like, it's, it's not quite static, like you're hearing static. It's not quite like that, but almost. It's just like slow and sluggish and you can't concentrate, read or anything. But I did read one book, two books, that I found found really, really helpful and probably not in the worst of it. But one was um, a book called Comfort by Anne Hood. 
And Anne Hood is an amazing writer, a novelist and a nonfiction writer. She lost her daughter at five years old. Mm. Strep throat. Oh, gosh. Some weird, weird strain of strep throat. And um, two days, like, she's, like, fine. And then, you know, she got sick. And then she was dead. And so reading this beautiful book, and it was, I'm in the bookstore in our little town and watching booksellers. And I looked down in a box and she, Margot sells the galleys for like, you know, 50 cents or something. So I looked in and it was the first book just right there. And I picked it up and I bought it. And, and that was, that was really, really helpful. And then um, Joan Didion's uh, Year of Magical Thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, after her, her dad, her dad. Her husband and her daughter both died, I think, in the same year or a year and a half or something. But other than that, I didn't uh, use, couldn't read at all. So after, when was it that you, well, you were telling your husband that you needed help. Mm -hmm. And when was it, do you think, that he, or do you know, that he thought, he thought, okay, I do, I need to step in? Well, he was like, he he didn't believe I was going to have to be put away, but he, I started seeing a therapist and um, I started seeing a therapist almost immediately, but um, I resisted taking the drugs. I resisted taking any depressants. And I was doing all these other things, you know, trying anyway, trying to do all these um, holistic, you know, things. And um, he was just, he, you know, he would come home from work and just talk to me like like I was sitting at the kitchen table or he he wouldn't even you know and I that was the way he dealt with it he'd just tell me about what happened at work and you know who sent condolences and his father had died two months before so he was dealing with his own stuff but he didn't he didn't deal with his own stuff he just dealt with me and was just you know he just kept trying to make me feel better he just you know, he just kept trying, but he didn't, um, he didn't ever like say, you know, why don't you get up or why don't you do this or why, you know, it was just like, I'm not noticing that you've been in bed all day <laughs> you have your pajamas on. It's, it's very difficult to diagnose depression. I mean, it's very subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fine line, like doctors, I know, I have four boys and I know that I remember bringing one in I'm not going to mention who. <laughs> and tell no the doctor, like, I think he's depressed. Mm-hmm. And his comment to me was, he's perfectly fine. Everyone has a different level of yes, happiness. right. That's right. And, and, and you know, we, yeah. I took that and gave me comfort, you yeah. know? It's yeah. like, accept him for who he is. Right. And well, that's why I said earlier that I've always been melancholy. I like that right, better. Right. Um, you know, I, I've always been this way. I'm, I'm, I've, I'm never been like, oh my god, like Missy here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Although I gotta tell you, and, and my husband I, is sitting here would say it's not always that great. Right. <laughs> Grass is that, not always greener. <laughs> I said to her earlier, I was like, are you register pretty high? Are you kind of always like this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm sure some would say eh, it's not really the best alternative either. <laughs> Did you like that? Doctor well, actually diagnose you. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it was no, it was not like this was not gray. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, this wasn't gray. Um, but I did the first one I saw an analyst, uh, um, wonderful, um, Greek American, and oh, uh, he he said to me, and I was crying, 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 and he said, I said, this can't be just grief. He said, no, it can. He said, you know, in other cultures. Professional mourners are hired because the grief gets so great. The 
the griever can't do it in, in anymore. So he was really helpful in, yeah, and that grief can morph into this debilitating depression. So, um, you know, it was, it was, it was clear. It wasn't, uh, you know, and it took a long time to, you know, before I really pulled myself out of it. Do you remember the day that, or the time period that you actually started seeing the light or the way out? Um, I don't because I don't really remember anything like I was saying earlier. I remember um, the when I stopped crying every day. Mm. I remember like mm. it, it was a couple days. I was like, oh, I didn't cry. I didn't cry yesterday. I didn't cry. You know, How did your oh, children about, handle this period? You know what? People ask me that and I've been saying something that's not true. No, but not purposely. Okay. <laughs> not purposely. Okay. I mean, well, you remember it, maybe, right? Right. I mean, and 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 now because I'm looking at my son who's in high school, and some of the gaps that I thought I was tending to, mm-hmm. but I really wasn't academically. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I would go in and I would meet, and I would just say, "Yeah," but I I wasn't there. I right. wa- I would just go, mm-hmm, right. "Okay," right. and so with my daughter. She was older and she was in middle school, um, eighth grade, I think. So she was kind of, you know, and she was, you know, girls. I mean, she was just much more of a independent um, person. Um, but in terms of like being in bed all day, they, you know, they just come home, plop on the bed and tell me what happened, you know. How long was it? It was it over a year? Oh, was- yeah. Like two, two and a half after a year what happened okay so this was this was one thing that kind of pulled me out mm-hmm. so um right after it happened we used to be really active in the Montclair Art Museum so we were there for a gala like right after it happened it, you know because we were always it, it might have even been my event I don't it wasn't my <laughs> event but I was there and um and so we're there and um they were it was an auction so it was a silent auction it was a live auction and the live auction was a, a house in tuscany i wanted to go to tuscany for 20 years and but i'm not paying attention you know i'm talking to people and everybody's coming up and condolences and you know but what people do is they tell you about when they lost their mother or husband or whatever so i'm just like in conversation with different people and so um he came over and said you know i just bought this trip you know and uh, it was a villa in Tuscany, and we were going the next year. So he won. The- he bought it. And you weren't even paying attention. I wasn't you paying attention. Even- I didn't know he was bidding on it. Your husband. Yeah. Wow. So he did that for me. He did that to pull me out. But this is how bad it was. So it was a year from then that we were going to go. I didn't want to go. Ooh. So really? even So that whole time I'm in therapy, and my therapist had been trying to get me to take drugs, and I was resisting. And then she was like, and I... And when I started telling her I didn't want to go on the trip, she's like, you have to please promise me you'll just take these because you're not going to, you have to go. And so I did. You did. You I took the meds. Going. I took the meds and I was able to go and 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 enjoy it and be in it with them. You know, because we, we traveled, we did like, um, the, the house was in Tuscany, but uh, Cliff decided to, we did um, two days on the Amalfi Coast and then drove some and then, you know, took train over to Florence and then you know did all that mm-hmm. around um do you remember uh, where in Tuscany you were we were in um something with a C Kappa. Saint Cristiano de Bagni mm-hmm. by any chance no <laughs> um no it's something a C-A-P uh, mm. I, do you 
do you remember it fondly or do you sort of just remember it no it I, was, I do it was it, it was good it was um it was uh it was a great family time I mean, I, you know, I love Italy. I mean, I love the people and the feeling. And it's very family, as you know. And they're just, you know, there's so many places in Europe. It's just like simple and easy and civilized, you mm. know, where you stop and you enjoy your meal and you just, and we had this um, woman who came with the house um, who cooked for us every day. Oh my God, <laughs> oh my God. So it was great. It was good. It was really nice. Were there times over the course of the two years that maybe there would be a day that was good? Yeah. I wrote about it. (laughs) And so what do you do? Like, do you think now it's it's better? It's over? Yep. Okay. So this is what happened. So I'm with my friend Hillary. She called me up and she said, let's go for a walk. So we took our little dogs. We have these cute little dogs, fluffy dogs, Pearl. Charlie, we take them for walks, and they're so cute. People are like stopping, look at a dog. And so we're. And this is my friend. We've been friends since our kids were in nursery school, and our kids are in college now. And her, one of her sons, she's got two. One of them is out of college, so long time. So you know, we. Um, she goes, "You're hungry, yeah." And this is this is when you're deprived. Well, my friends were just like it was like I was sick. Like, right. so she was like, "Okay, do what do you want to eat?" You know, I'll go. You know, to watch. So we, she, I sit on a bench, and she goes to get the egg sandwiches on bagels, and she comes back, and we sit in the park, and we eat, and I'm like feeling happy. I'm really Aww. feeling happy, and it was like, oh my god, it was just what you said. I was like, it's lifted, it's gone, it's over. I love that. But it wasn't. Oh. oh, my gosh. I felt good the next day. And then that Monday, it was raining and cold. And I was literally in my house crying out loud for my mother, like almost screaming that I want my mother. Mm-hmm. So. It's the ups and the downs that you just. I mean, it would be like, and then, I mean, really down. So when, after the two years, when you started to feel better, when did you decide that you could write this book and share the story? You know, it wasn't, I, I don't remember ever saying I'm going to write a book about this. I really don't know how this <laughs> happened. I know it sounds so ridiculous, but <laughs> I have to say. It doesn't. I mean, I, I, it came to you. I, and I think my mother was in there with me. Because <gasps> my mother was like my biggest supporter. She was always like, when are you going to write another book? And she, what she wouldn't say, like, do it like her direct pressure. She would talk about her friends. And she would always call her friends by their last name. So it was like, <laughs> Hector wants to know when you're going to write another book. <laughs> But Thea wants to know when you're going to write this book. And so I know she was in there with me pushing that on. And once I started, once I had some pages, which were, oh, and I took a workshop. I did another a workshop with a friend who, who um, is a wonderful teacher, Lori. And um, it, was a, it was a memoir workshop. And that was helpful because all of us were, all of us were writing about our mothers, just so happens. But they, the other three people, had terrible relationships with their mothers. And they were like, we want to read your book because we don't know anybody who, you know, had a good relationship. So that was helpful in spurring me on. And then I always have got a great agent who's my great friend and I would always send her pages and she was just like, okay, yeah. And, and, you know, write about this or maybe you should put this in because she knows me and she knew my mom. 
So um, once I was in the process, I started feeling better. And it was that's what I was saying earlier. It was about the work, really. I mean, of course, it was about losing my mom, but it was also about losing myself. Right. And then so this was almost a way to get back and at yep. least figure out, get on some familiar ground, I guess. Yeah. And so now I lost my dad, I think, six years, seven years, oh. actually, seven years ago in April. Wow. Um, and I, as you say this, say the thing he said again. He so said. be interested, and uh-huh. you'll be interesting. And I, I, I think I say that to my kids every single day. And I, 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 I'm embarrassed to say he probably was telling me that because as a child, maybe I was talking too much. <laughs> so it may not have come. It may have been a bit of a lesson for me. <laughs> but, but I like to think of it fondly in a different way. I think I like to think I wasn't just talking about myself all the time when I was young, and that was a bit of a scolding. But I really do think it resonates so much with me. He had so many sayings, and so it just really had such an impact on my life, and still does every single day. And my mom, my mother as well. Mm. But, you know, I think my dad would love seeing this right now, and maybe my dad and your mom right now are <laughs> kind of watching this and like laughing and enjoying this thoroughly. So on this anniversary of your mom's passing um uh, tell me about your mom clara mm, love that name yeah. me too pretty she was really amazing and it's not just me who says that okay at her wake one of her boy scouts came from let me get this right some another country i mean out of the country and he said I had to be here for your mother. I was in Washington, D.C. I went to school there, and I was driving up, um, not Connecticut, was it Connecticut Avenue? Connecticut Avenue. This guy is following me. I'm not paying attention. And finally, he gets me to a light. You know, we're next to each other, and I look over. He goes, I was in your mother's Boy Scout troop. You know, I mean, she, okay, so she was a den mother. She was PTA president for life, Papa Doc. She was, (laughs) uh, she worked at night, for 32 years at St. Michael's Hospital as a nurse's aide, 32 years from 11 to 7, um, Boy Scouts, PTA, Block Club president. She was amazing. She was a force. She really believed that we were he- we we were here to take care of each other. Like she really believed the whole brothers keeper thing, like for real. Um, she, I mean, just today I posted her picture, and so many people wrote about. Um, their memories of her you know um, she was feisty she was funny she was smart she was driven she loved us so fiercely that's what I know I got from her I love them fiercely and I mean to the point where I mean it's like kind of a joke with my friends even my son it's like you know oy you know just like i'm in there i'm in there with those teachers like leaning in like uh no oh he's doing fine he got a seat nope he can do better than that and and i just wrote them i just you know what high expectations yield high results you got to be in there with him you know why because i'm in there with him and you know why because that's your job and you don't want to deal with me. So, and that was my mother. That, and so once we were done, she still was PTA president. She became the county. So Essex County, like 22 That's towns, huge. she was a PTA president. Yeah. 
we were out of college and she was still I doing it. I love the pictures in your book, oh, too. Yeah. You have so many. You're yeah. so lucky, I don't, you know, to have all that. Yeah. She, so it she really was, brings to life what you said. Yeah, she yeah. was really something. She really, it wasn't just that she was my mom. She was a, a really an amazing person. Was it a shock? That she died? Mm-hmm. No, she was sick, sick for a long time. You know, and she, she said to me, you know, I worked myself to death. Mm. And oh, so she would say to me, oh, and my. again, this is a different take because so many mothers are like, I did it, you can do it too. She was like, get a massage, go sit down. Like she, she was, you know, encouraged, she would always encourage me to take care of myself. She didn't do that. Oh, wow. And she was one of, and I read, set, there were There 11? were seven sisters. Seven there were sisters. 11 kids. And I... I I just loved your description. So I'm one of four <laughs> girls. So take this to a whole new level. But the description of the interaction with the sisters oh and God. the personalities. Oh, my God. I loved that in your book. They were so scary. <laughs> <laughs> Are they listening right now? No, they're all gone. Are they? Everybody. Okay, oh, listen okay. Listen to this crazy. Okay, so the first, so they're like the first five or so died intermittently. The last seven six, something like that. They all died four months, two months of each other. Whoa. Boom, 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 boom. Isn't that interesting? Yep. Whoa. Yep. Wow. So they're all gone. So nobody's left, so I can say that whatever. It kind of shows the bond between <laughs> them. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were you, really you tight. about spouses who died yeah. you know, within six Yeah, they were really tight. What about yeah. the brothers? Yeah, them too. So them my too? uncle, oh my gosh. Uncle okay. Fred. So the brothers, there were, there's the baby brother, and then there was the oldest brother, Uncle Dave. But then Uncle Fred was in the middle of all the girls. So in the seven girls, Uncle Fred was right in the middle. So he was right near my mom, and they were like, I mean, you know, they were really, really close. And Uncle Fred like didn't smoke. He didn't. And he had some lung thing. They all had some lung so thing. But my mom really was a smoker. My mom, you know, she stopped 20 years ago, but she mm-hmm. had been a smoker. But they all had some lung thing. Mm-hmm. It's probably from living. Um, my dad had my my dad had pulmonary fibrosis, and ended up having a lung transplant. Wow! And then ultimately died of cancer. But um, did he smoke? No, not yeah. never once. Yeah. yeah, swam every day. It was just the craziest yeah. thing. Yeah. And ironically, my husband's father is a pulmonologist. So it's like the, it was the magic of this. Yeah. Strange things happen. Yeah, yeah the lung thing. Mm. But so I've, so you talk, it, it's, and in a very serious subject matter in the book, there are humorous stories that you tell also, and it just makes you feel like you can become a part of this family. And you talk about your aunts and how strict they were and how tough, not strict, tough. Tough. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that. And you said you were a more sensitive child, and they oh want nothing God. to do with that. Mm-mm. No, it, it was like, you know, um, yeah, I, I can't even think of anything. I was going to say a modern day equivalent, but I can't even think of anything. Yeah, yeah, they did not like that I was sensitive, that I cried all the time, that I was always like stuck to my mom's leg. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know. Clara, there's something wrong with her, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they wanted me to toughen up. They th- and, and, you know, and, and this is also what I, what, I, what I say on the road and what I believe is that it's just the opposite. People think, like, because you cry all the time that you're weak, and it's actually just the opposite. And I try to tell my son this all the time mm-hmm. um, because I think it's really important to tell boys that and still let in boys. My son is very sensitive, 
he's not crying, but he is very, and he's Tough an athlete. Really. I have a sensitive yeah. son. You know, oh yeah. No, they feel yeah. so much. Yeah. And I think the teenage years are so hard. Because so I think, right, all those hormones are flying and they are just, oh my gosh. and they're not talking. At right. least my son's not that as verbal as yeah know. my son it's like grunts like <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. you're hearing yep. you're hearing nothing yeah right? what does he say? <laughs> i'm good yeah. i'm good oh, I'm oh good. let's see that really means yeah right right yeah. you have the mean ones at home right now the two nice ones are at college <laughs> the two mean ones are at home the high school kids well you know my son plays baseball and uh <laughs> and there was um a kid um his friend who's a pitcher connor hit uh, you know, pitching, he he hit a kid, mm-hmm. um, a batter, and Connor, like the boy went down. He and Connor just turned and he went down, like he felt so bad, Aww. and it was just it was so sweet. And it, yes. you know, so they're you got to rejoice. In that, yeah, for sure. they have that. Yes, they have empathy. Yeah. For Do other you know people. the three of us each have a Connor? No, no, no. Connor was the, the oh, other boy. Oh, My oh, son oh. is Ford. <laughs> Connor's the friend. Scratch. But but this boy, Connor, is his friend and they've been playing together since they were five years. All the boys pretty much have been playing together since they were five years old, which is just the best. But mm-hmm. j- yesterday I was dropping Ford off, zero period, seven o'clock in the morning, right? Not happy. And no. Oh. And um I see Ford see Connor and they break into these big smiles. Aww. And it made me so happy. Yeah, I love that. It just yes. made me so happy. Those and moments are yeah, fabulous, exactly. aren't they? And that you kind of just quietly observed it. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. And I think in that moment, too, you realize, you know what? You went through a terrible, terrible time. But at the same time, you raised these amazing kids. And I think that's the message. That's another really important message that needs to get out there. Because people go through things, and they hide it, and... But how about that story? You went through it and your family understood it and they got through it and they're amazing kids. That is something people to know. Like, it's okay if this happens. Mm-hmm. Not everything is going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. People are strong in times like that. And people learn from times like that and they become better people. And if people, I, I, I think that's a really important message also. And yeah. writing this book, I think, was probably very therapeutic for you. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Don't you think? It was just, because uh, it got me back out. It got me back out in the world. It was like I got I woke up and it was like this is what I do and this is what I am and and sort of back in the game back Beautiful. in the game it's like hospital yeah. for special surgery says get back in the game <laughs> I had a hip replacement in August wow <laughs> nice amazing perfect you got 30 more years coming to oh, you oh yeah 30 60 no I cannot believe we have one minute left for the show I, yeah. I, I could talk all night. I know this one. Be interesting. It'll be interesting. I could let you speak all night. <laughs> I, I can't thank Benildi Little enough for coming on tonight. My amazing co host, Lisa Berkery and Seema McGrath. It was an amazing night, and it's why I started Morph Mom. I started it because we need to connect, we need to share what we've done with others. And I think your story is so meaningful and it's so helpful and it needs to get out there. And I'm so appreciative that you had the strength and the fortitude to get it out there and to share. And uh, really, I think the amount of people you've touched with this story, I don't think you can measure it in numbers. And and you're just an incredibly kind morph mom. And for those of you out there, I I can't thank you enough for listening tonight. And I hope there are those of you out there (laughs) that I'm speaking with. (laughs) And those of you that are there, please return next Thursday night, seven to eight morph mom moments. 
Um, every Thursday night, we will talk about great stuff. Call in, write in, and visit me on morphmom.com. Thank you again, and we'll see you next Thursday. Good night. Honorably in our nation's armed forces, and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS.